0: Just because of the goodness, Lord, that you have lavished upon us, just because of the blessings that you have given us, the salvation that you have offered to us. And so, Lord, we come to this place as your favored children, once again, just desiring to hear from you. So we pray that you would speak to us and guide us in your word, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you turn to meet your neighbor. Good morning. Come on. Okay, Good morning, Pastor Mike. That's better, OK. <laughs> We're going to be in the book of Malachi today, chapter three, if you'll go ahead and turn to the last book of the Old Testament. Um, we have a, a little bit of a surprise this morning. I did announce it last week, so I guess it's not a real big surprise. But we have Josh and Amber with us this morning. Some of you know who they are. Some of you have seen their names in the bulletin. They are missionaries to Indonesia. They'll give you a lot more detail than that. But they're, they've come out. They're on furlough right now. And um, they just decided to stop by on their way from Washington to Texas to come share with us. So come on up, guys.
1: Good morning. So way back in 2004, I uh, left Washington State and I came down to Ontario to fly a little cargo plane out of, on the, out of the Ontario airport over here. And I didn't know anybody. I didn't have any friends, family, anybody here in Ontario. And uh, um, I found Calvary Chapel Ontario because I knew they, they preached through God's word and so they couldn't be all that bad. And so I, uh, <laughs> so I, uh, um, <coughs> I started coming here and I never stopped. Um, this, this church became my family while I was here and... Uh, um, it was a really blessing. It really kept me grounded and kept me focused on uh, what I was doing. I, um, I was flying the airplane to try to gain experience to um, become a missionary pilot and mechanic with uh, Wycliffe Bible Translators. And a couple years later, I was accepted and I got real. <laughs> so I, uh, um, I then uh, um, joined Wycliffe, and I, I met, met Amber at a Wycliffe training, and we ended up getting married. And uh, about nine months after our training was over with, we got married and then we uh, needed to trust the Lord for the next step. And honestly, I was just excited that I could serve the work of Bible translation through aviation. Um, the Lord hasn't given me a lot of skills in, as far as um, like preaching or teaching or Bible translation, but um, I had some skills as a pilot and a mechanic, and he let me serve that work. And uh, I believed it then and I, I believe it now that God's Word is, is powerful and it can change people's lives um, if they understand it and they believe it and they, and they follow it. And uh, um, there's people in other parts of the world that don't have access to God's word in their own language, that in a language that they can't understand. And uh, um, and so on that I I went, and uh, and ten years later, um, here here we are still doing it. And I never would have guessed that we would have been that the Lord would have provided for us for ten years, but He does He does provide. That's just my own sin nature and my, my and my and I just doubt way too much. But it's really cool that if you just commit your way to the Lord and you trust Him. I mean, you'll, you'll see him provide, and I honestly don't know how he did it. He sustained us through a lot of stuff in the last 10 years over in, in Papua, um, but he's, he's done it. And uh, one, of the, one of the areas that he sustained us in it was financially. Um, it's through He raised up a, a financial team to support us, to send us over there, and this church is part of it. And I just want to say thank you for being part of that team. Um, you guys are... Um, you're you're a direct result of us being able to serve over there, and we just really appreciate it. And it's it's humbling for us um, that people would support um, the work about change and, and support us in that process. Um, I can I can verify in the last ten years that the people over in Papua have have received word in their in God's word in their own language in and in a format that they can understand, and they've read read it and they believed it and they understand it, and their lives have been changed because of it. Um, it's still a lot of work left to do. Um, but it's, there has been progress made in, in, in this time that we've been over there. So it's really encouraging to see um, that. If you guys want to hear some more stories about some of the stuff, we can, we can share later. But uh, um, anyway, so the last time we were here, it was about three years ago, and uh, we had a little girl. She was, we still do, yeah, yeah, which is good. Um, she was about, um, at that point, she was what, three weeks old, three months old, I think, when we came through. And so, it's, like, it's all a blur. Yeah, right, yeah. So last time we came through, she was about three months old, and we were on our way to Papua for for our, our previous term. And she is now three years old. And so uh, um, the Lord has sustained her. She's, they've kept her safe. Um, she, I think she had dengue fever one time, but she plowed through it just like a champ. I mean, it puts most adults in the hospital, but we didn't even really know she had dengue until she was pretty much recovered from it. And so um, as soon as we found out about it, we freaked out and talk, asked the doctor, and the doctor said, well, if she— if She was gonna die. She would have died by now. So Whoa. she's she's good. I don't
2: remember that part. <laughs> so, well,
1: anyways, so it, the Lord the Lord protected us even for things that we knew about and things we didn't know about. And so we're just so grateful that um, that He sustained us this last this last uh, three years over in Papua. Um, my what I did was I worked as a uh, um, as a on, a on a team of uh, people that maintained five aircraft that fly to the interior of Papua, and how Papua is is generally it's about the size of Texas. Um, which is, in my vocabulary means it's big, and there's, there's not a lot of uh, roads. There's essentially no infrastructure in Papua. There's no, like, electricity and roads and, and even a, really a decent river system in the interior of Papua. But there's lots of little different villages that are spread throughout. There's probably 250 different language groups, like completely different cultures, languages, and everything. And they're not connected by roads or rivers or anything. They're just basically isolated their own little communities. And so um, what Wickliffe does... Is we take these five little airplanes and we fly into these these different these different villages, and we uh, um, and we bring in translators and supplies and church planners and and we pretty much just basically provide access of uh, we provide these people with access to God's word, and then the church we encourage the church to try to uh, use God's word, and as soon as they get it, they normally just eat it all up and they just you know want to know what does it mean to um, you know what does it mean to live my life. Um, in accordance with what God, what God wants me to do, um, just little simple things like they—they're uh, um, like they're kind of like a—they have like animistic type core beliefs, and so uh, um, so just the, the very fact of like, like the other day that there was like a um, someone was building a house and so he needed to chop down a tree, but they couldn't chop down the tree because the tree had like a, a spirit in it, and so yeah, and so for us it's like yeah it's easy you need to chop down the tree so you can make wood so you can build build your house, but for them they couldn't do it so. So that by telling them that you know God is more powerful than that spirit in that tree, that you know it's a really act of faith for them to actually chop that tree down. Because when that when that tree goes down, that means that there's a curse that's been put on them that they that they they'll, they'll experience from that point on till whenever they die. And so um, so basically it's like it's, true, it's bringing the truth like that into their lives. That no, you know you can have faith in God and God is more powerful than any of the spirits that are that are out there. And so just setting people free from the bondage that they're in and, and discipling them up in the way they should go. Um, yeah, that's kind of sort of what we what we do over there. Um, Amber, she, this is her first term that she uh, um, was not teaching at a missionary kids at the at the local school there. Um, so because we had Kate, and so she's staying home with Kate. But the Lord uh, Lord blessed her, and she's able to minister to some of our neighbors. Uh, we have some Muslim neighbors and some Christian neighbors, and they all have kids, and so they're able to play together. And just through through like the relationship with the kids, the and was able to minister to some some of our some of our neighbors while while I was while I was gone. Um, the other, other thing is that there is was like, um, a soccer soccer group for young young Papuan women, and basically the the soccer team is to um, basically encourage these young women just to make positive choices in their life. And so all, all really all she did as a coach was just love on these these women and just, and just basically help them play soccer and just just give them confidence so they made just good decisions because it's their. Most of the Papuans are in a pretty a tough, tough life, life situation um, in this in the current situation over there in Papua. And so that was a big blessing that Amber could pour out on these uh, these young young ladies well, even though that the kind of the ministry sort of changed for her after we had Kate. And then uh, um, probably the, my my opinion, like the most encouraging thing that happened to me, like the most encouraging story was we went to a Bible dedication where um, pretty much this the people, the leaked people of Apelmec were getting the Bible for the first time. And uh, we witnessed something that was pretty cool, and Amber was going to share it.
2: Yeah, so we went on a, our family boarded one of these small planes that you're seeing in some of these pictures. And um, Kate was probably, I don't know, maybe six or seven months old. So she's strapped in a carrier. You'll see her in some of these photos. Um, so it's a, it's a big deal when the New Testament is translated into the heart language of a people that don't have God's Word in their own language yet. So the people get really excited. They have a a dance party that lasts for three days, at least three days. They bring out the pigs. They have really great food. They're dancing. They invite everybody from all of these surrounding areas to come. Well, these representatives from the Leek people, they went way far away to villages that we didn't even know existed. They invited these people to come back to the dedication just to see what god's word how god's word will transform people and so they came and our translator friend andrew and ann sims they're the ones that completed the new testament for the Leek people they were out there and they were watching the dancing that was going on and they've been around the leak people for many many years and so they're familiar with their dress their traditional dress and they're familiar with their dance moves and so Andrew is out there, and he's watching them dance, and he's noticing that there's a group of people there that are dressed differently. They're not wearing the typical grass skirts and gourds that the Lake people are. They're wearing loincloths, and their shuffle pattern is a little bit different, their dance pattern. So he asked them, he said, who are these people? And they said, oh, this, this is this people group that has come just to see the New Testament dedication. And, and they reported back, they said, they, they can't believe how we treat each other. They, they can't believe that when you have a disagreement, it doesn't end in murder or it doesn't end in fighting or arguing. He, they can't believe how peaceful we get along. And you know what? We've been able to tell them this is what God's word has done in our tribe. God's word has completely changed our tribe. And so this people group from way far off that nobody even knew about they were excited and they're like, can you come and can you, can you give us God's word? We want this for our people. And so this just happened. Like last year, more people are that we don't even know are out there need to hear God's word in their own language and they're begging for people to come and to translate. And so it was really exciting for us. And on this furlough back home, when we have the opportunity to go in front of churches we just want to testify that God's word is powerful, and God's word is changing lives. He's, it's changing not only individual lives, but families and entire cultures, and that will impact generations for, for eternity. And so we just want to say thank you again, because you guys are a direct part of that. Without your prayer support, without your financial support, there's no way that this people group in the middle of nowhere, Papua, Indonesia, could have the opportunity to hear God's word and to have their lives transformed for eternity. So we're grateful for you guys, and we're happy to testify of the Lord's goodness and his faithfulness to these people that are often forgotten and and taken advantage of out there. So thank you. Would you continue to pray for them? Pray for the Leek people, that they would continue to be missionaries that go out into their own tribes and to tribes that we don't even know about and to, to preach God's word to people that need to be transformed.
1: Yeah, so where we're going from here is uh, um, we, were, we came back from the field a little bit early because we had some medical stuff that we wanted to check out with Amber. And uh, um, for, we found out that, um, that she was pregnant when we got home. So... Uh, <laughs> we weren't we weren't expecting it we weren't really planning for it but uh the lord provided so uh <laughs> so yeah we're planning on staying in the states until the baby's born and then after the baby's born we're going to have some of the medical checks done and then uh, assuming everything comes back good we'll uh, go hopefully go back this next summer into papua and doing the same thing so yeah again just thanks so we appreciate your prayer
0: Josh and Amber have to raise their own support, and they do so as well while they're here in the States, and there are some of us that give towards their ministry, and the church gives on top of that, so I just encourage in your giving, if the Lord impresses upon your heart, just to remember them and mark it on an envelope, or just write it on your check, Josh and Amber, and we'll see that it, that it gets there. Go ahead and stand for the reading of God's Word. Malachi chapter 3, I'll be picking up at verse 7. Actually, the last part of verse 7. But you said, in what way shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even the whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessings that there will not be room enough to receive it, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sake so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And all the nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Father, we come before you once more, lifting up your word, and Father, just this one important aspect of, this, of our lives, Father, our finances, and I just pray, Father, that you would just show us, Lord, what your will is concerning these things, where the priorities are to be, and Father, just most of all, how you are to be glorified. So we lift up our study to you, once again, just asking God that you would bless us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and be seated. Once again, we're looking at the religious leaders. Whoever the leaders are with a group of people, this happens to be the priest here in Israel, but we need to compare it to ourselves. They've been very negligent when it comes to the ministry of the Lord. How many times when the Lord was wanting to make a spiritual point, has he used our relationship with finances to make it real to us? And so some people are thinking, oh great, he's going to go up there and talk about money. I remember hearing people saying, well, you know what? When it comes to the finances, I feel very uncomfortable talking about these things. And, and there's, I don't feel uncomfortable talking about these things because Jesus didn't feel uncomfortable talking about these things. Because these are things that we need to know. We need to understand how these things work. And so we freely speak about these things because, again, the Lord Jesus Christ did. Now, as far as our finances, as far as the money we make, it's important in our lives. There's no doubt about it. It's essential for our well-being, and it's from God for our provision. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10 says, For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, that if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. In the garden, God pronounced a curse, and a big part of it was men working by the sweat of their face. That was the curse that God has given us, that we would get up daily, and that we would go, and that we would work. And it's through that work that God provides for us. And it's kind of a funny thing. God gave this curse in Genesis chapter 3, but in actuality, this curse, although it is a difficult thing in our lives, it has turned out to be an area that when we do it, that we're blessed. And you see people who avoid work and not blessed. see people who retire even early. My dad retired and didn't really know it. He only had 11 years of life left. And so I need to look at this and how God has planned these things and how God has laid these things out. A job worked in an honorable manner, earning a pay, is all good. And it's all from God. It's how God provides for my family when I pray. I mean, it's been my experience when I pray to the Lord that the Lord would provide for us. God gives more work somehow, some way. See, again, I've mentioned it before. Very rarely have I gone online and checked out my bank account and said, hey, there's a more money in there than there was before. God doesn't just rein money into our wallets and into our accounts. How does he do it? He, he gives us some means by which to, for it to happen. Now, there's been some people that have had a legitimate need and the church has been able to provide for it. But again, it's because the generosity of the people within the body of Christ, faithful to what God has called them to, And so we see how this works in so many different areas. As God has provided me with a job and I go out and work, I give to the Lord and the Lord's work. And the Lord's work touches people in so many different ways. For most people, I pray all people, it's in a spiritual sense. For some people, it's going to be in a physical sense as well. And what we're looking at here is how they have neglected this area of ministry to the Lord. And it's not just that they're not giving to God because God needs the problem is, because they've neglected this, then the people are going to be suffering as well. So, there's two ways, ways—two ways, generally speaking, that, that man can go when it comes to this dynamic of finances in our lives. We saw in, earlier in the year in First Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness, and pierce themselves through with many sorrows because of mankind's infatuation with money and with riches. what's developed from that? Drug addiction. I just watched something on El Chapo yesterday, this uh, Mexican drug lord and billions and billions. he was one of the richest men in the world, and you see these things and what is it that drives this greed and whatever it's it's the the need and the desire I shouldn't say the need, but the want and desire for for more money. And so because of the love of money, we've got drugs and drug addiction, prostitution, greed. The majority of people in prison today, they're there basically what it all boils down to is for a, a love of money. We're going to be doing a lot of turning here today. Turn in your Bibles over to 2nd Kings. 2nd Kings chapter 5. We have a man there who he allowed the love of money or at least riches to overwhelm his life, and he paid a pretty hefty price for that. 2 Kings 5, verse 15 is where I'll pick up. Now, there was a Syrian general, named Naaman. He had leprosy, and he was told by a Jewish slave girl to go and to seek the Lord in Israel. Well, he went and he found this man, Elisha, and, well, Elisha told him what to do. He was to go and to dip in a in a river, in the Jordan River, and he said God would heal him. And, and it happened. And so we're kind of picking the story up there. In verse 15, it says, And he returned to the man of God, and he, he and all of his aides, and came and stood before him. And he said, Indeed, now I know that there is no God in all the earth except Israel. Now, therefore, please take a gift from your servant. But he said, As the Lord lives, before whom I stand, I will receive nothing. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. So Naaman, that's this general, said, Then if not, please let your servant be given two mule loads of earth, for your servant will no longer offer either burnt offerings or sacrifices to other gods but to the Lord. Yet in all this, may the Lord pardon your servant when my master goes into the temple of Ramon to worship there, and he leans on my hand, and I bow in the temple of Ramon. When I bow down in the temple of Ramon, may the Lord please pardon your servant for this thing. And then he said to him, go in peace. So he departed from him a short distance. So this man is immature in his walk with the Lord, and, 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 and the man of God understands that God is going to enter in, and God's going to do a work in this man's heart. But Geazai, but Geazai, but the, there was this one man, Geazai. He says he was a servant of Elisha, the man of God, and said, look, my master has spared Naaman, the, the Syrian, while not receiving from his hands but he brought, just as the Lord lives, I will run after him and take something from him. So this man, Gaius, he, he saw, he didn't see the great work God did. And I often wondered, did, did he kind of fall into a routine thing? Did it kind of become an everyday thing for God to work a miracle? You see, that during that time, God was working quite a few miracles. He didn't so much see and was wowed by the spiritual aspect of it. He saw the, the riches. He saw what could have been, what they could have had, and if my master doesn't want it, I'll surely take it. And so when this man, Naaman, was going back to his country, Gerazi, he ran after him. And he said, some unexpected guests had shown up. He lied. Love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And, and, and my master sent me back for some of those riches, and, and he took some of those riches for himself. It says, and uh, if you look over to... Um, Verse twenty five, Now when he stood in, or when he went in and stood before his master Elisha and said to him, Where did you go, Gerasai? And he said, Your servant didn't go anywhere. And he said to him, Did not my heart go with you when the man turned back from his chariot to meet you? Is it time to receive money and to receive clothing? Olive groves and vineyards, sheep and oxen, male and female servants? Therefore the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and your descendants forever. And he went out from his presence, leprous, as white as snow. An outward expression of a heart that was, well, had a love for finances, a love for money. How you deal with your finances will either be a blessing for your future generations, or it's going to cling to you as leprosy. In Mark chapter 8, verse 36, Jesus said, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? what? And the question is, what? What? I mean, have you ever done inventory of the things that we have, you have made a priority in your life? I mean, how many things have you made a priority in your life only to achieve it and it didn't really live up to its billing? It, it wasn't the big blessing that you, you thought it was going to be. Matter of fact, sometimes these things can become a, a burden or, or even a curse. And so I have to make sure that I I prioritize things according to the way that the Lord prioritizes things. What's good, what is it going to profit a man if you gain everything in the world, but you lose your soul? This man had lost his soul because he was so concerned about the world and the things of the world. And so there's the love of money, but there's also the intent of the Lord. Turn over now to Matthew chapter 6, one book past Malachi, Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. When it comes to these things that we are constantly striving for, now we just saw if a man won't work, a man's not going to eat. But on the other hand, I've got to make sure that I don't allow my desire for work and earning a paycheck to be blown out of proportion either. Verse 19 of Matthew chapter 6, we're told by the Lord. "...do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal." It doesn't mean don't have a retirement. It doesn't mean don't save. But don't make that the priority of your life. He says in verse 20, "...but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal." Make your investment in spiritual things. Now this economy that we have, the way things work in this world, it's by the hand of the Lord. Now man has defiled it in so many different areas, but it's necessary for you to work. And as you go and work, you get paid for that as you should. You put a lot of time into your job. You work by the sweat of your face. You sacrifice time away from things you like to do, away from family, and all of these things. And the paycheck that you earn, you are deserving of that. God has given you the job, and the check is produced through Him. As you get that check, how is it that you use it? Well, again, if you're responsible, you are storing up something for your future. As far as retirement, kids, schooling, whatever it might be, paying our bills, being a responsible citizen. That's all part of being a witness. But also, and again, this economy that we have, the way things work, how much of that are you giving over to the Lord? Because again, if you hear that hum right now, that's the air conditioner. It costs money to run. The lights in the air, it costs money to run, as you well know in your own home. This building, this building costs $9,200 a month. Somebody once asked me, well, how much of that does Chino Valley pay? How much of that comes from Costa Mesa? Nothing. Nothing. We're, we're all self-contained here. It, this is a work that God is doing in Ontario and where God provides, or God guides, God provides. If God has not led us here, then we ought not to be here. And so I've got to look at these priorities and I've got to look at the reality and how things work. He says in verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The way I think of it is, I should be able to look at my bank account and truly see where my heart is. Where is it that I am giving? Where is it that I have made a priority with my finances? Because again, finances are important. You spend 40 hours a week working at that job. That should be an important thing. You should pray over them and, and it should be prioritized properly verse 22 the lamp of the body is the eye if therefore your eye is good the whole body will be full of light but if your eye is bad your whole body will be full of darkness if therefore the light that is in darkness if the light that is in you is darkness how great is that darkness no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one or love the other or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other you cannot serve god and mammon and so where is our priority where is our priority in this life? Is it for the one that died upon the cross or is it for your convenience for this day? Again, got to consider these things, all things in proportion. Again, there's nothing wrong with buying conveniences. I remember when I was in a small group when I first got saved, I didn't know a lot of things and as far as the Bible and a lot of things as far as a Christian life, but the Apparently, just from the way guys were talking, the biggest sin a Christian could ever commit was buying a boat. What? Yeah, because like, yeah, he went out and he bought the boat, and it always seemed like it was the boat thing. And I'm thinking, Jesus rode in a boat? I mean, I I just couldn't understand that, and I I, I realized that a lot of these things can also go towards jealousy, and so we got to keep these things in the proper place, if God has provided you with yeah he's got a boat, he's got a big house, if God's provided with you uh, provided you with a big house, and praise God that I don't have a problem with that, but again, the idea is is where are your priorities? It's when I get tied down to something, these things they start becoming owners of me rather than me stewards of them. It's when I got an issue, you know, we so live in a culture that Again, Ontario, we had so many garbage—I mean, garage sales going on. They had to say, "Okay, you can only have garage sales now on these de- designated days." And I think what there's like four designated days that you can go out and, spell, and sell the stuff that you bought for dollars and sell them for quarters or pennies and be excited that you got money, not understanding that you're losing money on the deal. But we've got so much stuff and so many things, and there's so many of these uh, you know, self-storage things, because we got our things and we got our stuff, and it's my things and it's my stuff, and I don't want anybody to get my things and my stuff, but now it's starting to push the, the car that I spend so much money out of the garage, so i got to get my things and stuff, and i got to go rent another garage to keep it all in, because you never know when you're going to need it. Now, you got to consider who's saying this, because I am... What does my wife call me? She calls me a lot of things, but... Um, I just, I just, I'm a pack rat. That's just what I am. I get things and you never know when you're going to need it. You never, and I got a lot of things. I got a ton of wood in my garage because you never know when you're going to need a board. If you ever need a board, let me know. I got boards. I got a lot of boards. And I keep them on my garage because, well, I don't do much woodworking anymore, but you just never know. And she has thrown stuff away that later on we needed and it was like, oh, now I got to go out and spend five bucks on that. Well, you've got to keep these things in, in the proper perspective because God does. And, and God's wanting us to see the reality of the matter because there are people going out on the mission field. There are people who are, who are giving or at least giving a lot and stepping outside of the comfort zone in order to give glory to God. So make a greater priority in your life, a love for God, rather than a passion for riches. Now I'll turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul writing this letter to this church at Corinth and asking them to consider a few things. Jerusalem, Jerusalem at this time is the mother church, and this mother church through apostle Paul going out and so many others, birthed the ones that we study in the epistles and so many other churches. Well, there's a need there. Paul has it upon his heart to help this mother church in Jerusalem. And so what he is doing, we see it earlier. I'm just going to turn back there rather than have to go back there. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 through 4, it says, Now concerning the collection for the saints. Now he's saying the collection for the saints. All collections should be for the saints. It's not for a pastor, it's not for the church, it's for the work of ministry, but he's talking about here uh, the saints that are back in Jerusalem. Now concerning the collection for the saints as I have given orders to the church of Galatia, so you must also do on the first day of the week let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as you may prosper, in proportion to what, how you have prospered, in proportion to what God has given you, that there be no collection when I come And when I come, whomever you appoint by your letter, I will send to bear your gift to Jerusalem. But if it is fitting that I also go, they will go with me. And so, again, Jerusalem's hurting. These churches have received so much from Jerusalem. Their relationship with God came by that way. But now there's a famine that is going on. There was a great famine during that time, and so the need would be great in Jerusalem. Now, keep in mind, this church at Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the Jews, the common Jews of the day, they're contrary to the church. A lot of men who maybe had a good business probably have lost a lot of that business. Women could have, and it was a common thing to do at that time, could have been cast out of their homes. And so you had people who probably were financially hurting to begin with, and then this famine has now hit, there's an opportunity, There's an opportunity to give back physically to those who've given to you spiritually. Secondly, as the churches that were planted received from this church in Jerusalem, they were to step up. And it was an opportunity to display the magnitude of what God has done in their life. So this would be a witness for others. And then thirdly, keep in mind the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, there were probably some widows in Jerusalem because of him, he used to persecute the church. He used to put people in prison, and some of them died. And so there was that mindset in the back of his head as well. And so this is a commitment. It's not even a commitment. There's this opportunity to display the love of Christ with something that is going to be sacrificial and something that is dear to my heart. Because again, this money money represents time away from my family, time away from doing things that I like. It represents the sweat of my face and the provision from the Lord. So in 2 Corinthians, verse six. I'm sorry, Second Corinthians nine, I'm thinking it's gone, verse six. It says, "But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully." For let each one give as he purposes in his heart. He doesn't want to go up to somebody and, and shake them down. He doesn't want to be calling, listen, you know what? I, I notice you're not quite giving the same amount somebody else. He's laying this upon your heart. As, as you stand before God in this matter, and the things that the Lord lays upon your heart, this is how you should give. Because just think here, if I called you on Monday, you know we were going through the offering this last Sunday, and I notice you were a little light this week. What's going on? I'm going to send Guido over there. We're going to make this right. Guido's got a baseball bat. Um, then all of a sudden, yes. You know, every time you see the phone ringing, is this the church? And all of a sudden, the church becomes this collection agency rather than this place that you're receiving the love of Christ. And so again, we have to weigh these things out, and what Paul is saying, whatever it is. So let each one, verse 7, give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver, somebody that can give and with a spirit of worshiping God. Because you ought not just to stick a check or an envelope or cash in the goppy box or in the sock or whatever it might be. This ought to be something that you pray through and is an absolute result of your worship for the Lord. And you should be able to look at that and stand before God with all of your heart. I mean, I would imagine our desire would always be to give more, but to be able to stand before a holy God and say, this is important, I have made it a priority, this is my worship to you. It matters not how much it is, it doesn't matter to me how much it is, but it matters to me that people do it. There's not a person here who can't give. There's not a person here who can't give with a clear conscience as you purpose in your heart. Well, you don't understand what's going on in my life. Can you give a penny? Can you give a nickel? Can you give a dime? Can you give a quarter? Can you give a dollar? And where does it start to hurt? Where it starts to hurt, just back it off a little bit and give that. Because again, you're not giving it to me. You're giving it to God. And you're worshiping God with that. And you have to see it as such. Well, what about you, Pastor? It's easy for you to stand up there and say it. Well, when we started the church, I had a group of people come up to me. It wasn't a group of people. I think it was just one person, actually. Uh, somebody was with them, though. <laughs> I had a whole mob. Okay, it was one person. Um, but he said, you know what? You shouldn't give. You know, the church is paying you, and we're not paying you all that much at that point, and all that. You, you shouldn't give. Well, see, they, were, they, were, they weren't understanding the concept here. This, this is an act of worship. And if I'm not worshiping God, how can I expect you to worship God? What my wife have determined, what we're able to do, what we've determined in our heart, and what we can cheerfully give, well, we just use the example that the Bible states. We give 10%. I don't take 10% less of a paycheck. We take our paycheck, and then we give 10% back of what God has given us. Actually, we give a little bit more than 10% because we, we support a few other ministries. And so what, what Paul does here is, and what I want to just look in this section before we get back to Malachi, is four principles, four principles of giving. So first look at verses 10 through 11 in the same chapter. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness while you are enriched in everything for all liberality which causes thanksgiving through us to God. He's coming to the realization, we need to come to the realization that God is the source of all that we have. Where did you get the finances that you have? I got them from a job. Where'd you get the job from? I worked hard and I got the job. Where did you get the ability or the talent or whatever it might be to work your job? You need to see the hand of God in all of that. To not see the hand of God is pride and pride kills, and pride destroys. And I need to understand the reality of God in every aspect of my life. Secondly, verse 12, for the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also is abounding through many thanksgiving to God. The purpose of all that we have, we are to worship God with everything that we have, with our heart, our soul, and our might. And so I've got to do this with every aspect of who I am in every aspect of what God has given me, and so when there's somebody that is hurting, I'm their arms. I'm God's arms. I'm, I'm God's hands. I'm God's. I'm God's mouth, and I'm also as I give, I'm God's. I'm where God is working His provision through me. Verse thirteen. For the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saint, but it is also abounding to many. Thanksgiving to God. Verse thirteen while through the proof of this ministry they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them and all men. And so there is an impact that is happening because these people within this church have been found faithful. And so when you have somebody who is standing at the edge of despair and they're there and there's this opportunity to preach the gospel to them and you share the word with them and you see that change that comes over. You see that as an absolute work of God and it's an amazing thing. I've had the ability, I've had people come up to me and hand me an envelope and say, don't tell this person who gave you this, but I want to give this to these people. And I've been able to be that in between and I I tell them this is from me and I just thought, no, I don't tell them that. But I, I, I do tell them somebody gave me this and they wanted me to give And I get to see that blessing and just to see people. And, and really what they're seeing here is, is I prayed for this and now here this is. And they're really seeing is that I've come to this church and there's people who really care because they're understanding the magnitude of that gift. That is what represents that that person, whoever that person may be that they don't know, that person worked hard for this and, and God has laid it upon their heart, and now they're, they're, they're given to me. And so they realize that this is truly a representation of the love of Christ. Now again, these things can get so brought out of proportion that it just becomes an absolute sin in the body of Christ as well. And you well know ministries that every time you come to church, there they go again. It's like... Christ isn't the priority here. seems like money is the priority here. You know, there's the offering when you come and you sit down, there's the mid-service offering, and then there's the offering when you leave, and they just make the big thing about money. I rarely mention money, and I rarely mention finances, because we preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified. But every so often, we come to the section of Scripture that we do lift these things up, and we do speak of these things. And so go ahead and turn back over to Malachi. So there's been a series of charges that were brought to the, against the leaders of that day. And previously in verse 7, yet from the days of your fathers you have gone away from my orange. You have gone away from the things that I have told you, how you are to conduct yourselves, and you have not kept them. He said, return to me and I will return to you. You can start over with me in this area, God says, and I will start over with you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, in what way shall we return? Well, if you look over at verse 5, there was a lot of things that were pretty bad that were going on. It says, and I will come near for judgment, and I will be a swift witness against sorcerers, adulterers, perjurers, and those who exploit wage earners and widows and orphans. And those things were going on in the leadership. And God says, but you know what? You can start over with me and I'll start over with you. How are we to start over with you? Well, this is the means by which he has chosen for them to start over. In what way shall we return? Verse 8, Will a man rob God, yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you in tithes and offerings? Well, he's just taken it back to the basics. And this is a basic thing of those who have a relationship with God. So what is the tithe? Well, the most important thing of what a tithe is, it's God's. It's the Lord's. We've spoken of in Leviticus chapter 27 verses 30 through 33. The tithe is to be holy and it is to be separated unto him. How does the tithe work? God takes a portion of what he has and he has it all and he gives some to you. And he asks you to be a good steward with it. And he also asked you to give a little bit back to him. Some, some, well, tithe means tenth, and that's the Old Testament concept. But I would encourage you to examine where you're at, being a good steward of what God has given you. And some of us, it's going to be based upon debt that we've accumulated, some, maybe a sin issue, whatever it might be. But where are you at today? Because remember what you're doing? You're, you're starting over with him. And so how can you give in this manner that it's not going to cause a burden upon my family within my heart, but also understanding that God has first given to me, and I'm just giving back to him, really, in actuality, what is his? My grandson, this was a couple of weeks ago, Henry was over at my house, and I gave him a Popsicle. And he's sitting there eating the Popsicle, and he's saying how good it was. And I said, well, let me have a bite. And he said, no. He said, it's mine. And I said, no, it's not yours, it's mine. I gave you what was mine because I was gracious unto you. And I only want a little bit back. I didn't really explain all this to him, but that's how it really worked out. And he ended up with the whole popsicle anyway, but nonetheless, you get the idea. What God is saying to the priests in Malachi day is, is to not give back. It's sin. It's sin. And, and what, what, just consider what I mean by sin. You're missing the mark. You guys have been missing the mark in so many areas and you started missing the mark in this area and now it has flowed through to every other area of your life. Remember what they were doing? They were taking the blind and they were taking the lame and they were offering that to God. What does that mean? Well, in making the sacrifice, they were to be giving a lamb without blemish. But now they were given the waste to God. And so what you're seeing here is, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also you're seeing where the heart's not only of the people, but the people are a reflection of the leadership. You see a heart, reflection of the heart of the leadership during that day, and they're so, so far from God. And so God says, if you give, I'll give you more. If you don't give, sooner or later, I'll, I'll take it all back. So many people, and I've had this discussion with many people, Pastor, isn't this an Old Testament concept? Well, yeah, it is spelled out in the book of Leviticus. There's no doubt about that. But we just saw in verse 6 here, in Malachi chapter 3, I am the Lord and I do not change. Is he commanding us to give a tithe? No, he's not commanding us to give a tithe. In Luke chapter 11, verse 42, Jesus said, But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and all manner of herbs, and pass by justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. And so again, I ask you just to exercise common sense. Common sense in this matter. How does the church continue to go? Well, the church continues to go upon the graciousness of God. There's no doubt about that, but also the obedience of his people. The magnitude to which we are able to do is based upon your worship of God through the offering. There's so much more we would like to do, so much more we could do, but I'm limited what I can do. By the well, doesn't God provide? Well, I I wonder how many times God has desired to provide, but we've hindered that movement of the Lord. When anybody has had a legitimate need in this church, we've always been able to provide for that need. I remember we were moving into this building. We were spending $1,500 a month on our rent over at the other place, and we had to be out of the other place. And so somebody came into my office and said, I'm closing a church, would you be interested in a building? And he led me over here, and it's like, wow, this is of the Lord. God has directed us over to this building. How much is it going to cost? And I think it was right around 8000 at that time. It's like, whoa, that's not of the Lord. But then I had to start checking my heart. And I got my board together and we prayed about it and we went and we ran numbers and did all that stuff. But ultimately, it's not a matter of the spreadsheet. It's a matter of the Spirit. And where's the Spirit leading? And we've been able to pay our rent. We've paid our rent on time every single month for the past, what has it been, about 13 years or whatever it might be. And we've been able to provide for people. And we've been able to been able to do the work of ministry. We don't have a big bank account. Matter of fact, sometimes we just barely get by. But God provided for all of our need. How does he do that? He does so through you guys. Through you guys. We're church, and we've got to be in this together. If this is your church, then, well, really, where is your heart in the work that God is doing here? Am I berating you because we need to get the offering pumped up? If we need to get the offering pumped up, that's an act of the flesh. We're just talking about these things because they've come around in the, in the Scriptures for today and probably won't talk about it for another six years or whatever it might be, depending upon where we are at in the Bible. But I just want to close with this one last section of Scripture in Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles, King David, a man who was very well off, but nonetheless had this his heart for the Lord. He's described as a man after God's own heart. Second Chronicles, chapter 29, verses two through three. After you turn to Second Chronicles, then go ahead and turn over to First Chronicles. that's where it's at. First Chronicles, that's wrong up there. I, I gave him the wrong scripture, I stand corrected. First Chronicles chapter twenty nine verses two through three as I said, King David has been described as a man after God's own heart. Actually start reading at verse one. It says, Furthermore, King David said to all the assembly, My son Solomon, whom alone God has chosen, is young and inexperienced, and the work is great because the temple is not for man, but for the Lord God. Now for the house of my God, this is David, King David speaking. I have prepared with all of my might gold for things to be made of gold, silver for things of silver, and bronze for things of bronze, iron for things of iron, wood for things of wood, onyx stones to be set, glistening stones of various colors, all kinds of precious stones, and marble slabs in abundance. Moreover, because I set my affection on the house of my God... I have given to the house of my God, over and above all that I have prepared for the holy house, my own special treasure of gold and silver. And skip over to verses 6 and 9. You see the effect that this has had upon others. Then the leaders of the Father's house, leaders of the tribes of Israel, the captains of thousands and of hundreds, with the officers over the king's work, offered willingly... They gave for the work of the house of God 5,000 talents, uh, 10,000 Dikras of gold, 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze, and 100,000 talents of iron. And whoever had precious stones gave them to the treasury, the house of the Lord, into the hand of Jehiel, uh, the Gershonite. Then the people rejoiced, for they have offered willingly, because of a loyal heart, they have offered willingly to the Lord, King David also rejoiced greatly. It was just an expression of their heart before God, and all of Israel was rejoicing, and that temple was built that was to be a house of prayer to all the nations. I'll just go ahead and finish reading through Malachi, and we'll go ahead and close, but it says, "'Will a man rob God, yet you have robbed me?' But you say, "'In what way have we robbed you?' "'In tithes and offerings.'" You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. And so God says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me now in this. Now, this is the only thing in the Bible that God says to test them. It can be a hard thing, but this is what the Lord says. Try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessings, that there will not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sake, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. For all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. So again, this is all based upon what was previously said. Start over with me, and I'll start over with you. And one of the basic things here is just to give. Just to give, because... Where your treasure is? Well, you look at where your treasure is and you'll see that's where your heart is. Father, you had a heart for us and so that you gave. You gave of yourself that whoever would believe in you would not perish, but have everlasting life. And so, Father, I pray that our giving would be based upon, Lord, what you have first given us. And I thank you, Father, for the people who so are so faithful in this church and pray, Lord, that you would bless them. I pray, Father, if there's anybody here, Lord, that you've laid it upon their heart to give more, I pray, Father, as that's a personal thing between them and you, that you would speak to their heart and show them, Father, what is necessary. But, Lord, we just thank you, Father, for the body of Christ. They thank you for your hand, Lord, that has guided this church and continues to do so. That, Father, we would have impact in this city. That the gospel will continue to spread and Father, you'd just simply be glorified. I pray, Father, that no man would be lifted up, but Lord, you would be exalted high above all. So Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the blessings and your provision that you have given to everyone here. And just pray, Father, that we would truly honor you with these things, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We all stand, please? Well...